This podcast is a publication of the Engineering Management Institute, where we build professional development systems to help engineers and their firms grow. You can now download our recently published AE Industry Trends Report, which contains answers to the following questions. How long will the great resignation last? Are firms still allowing remote work and how is it affecting their productivity? How are successful firms using data to create people-centric cultures? You can find answers to these questions and more in our latest report, which you can download at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Welcome to this episode of the Structural Engineering Channel, a podcast focused on helping structural engineering professionals stay up to date on technical trends in the field and to help them succeed in their careers and lives. I'm your co-host, Matt Picardle, and in this episode, I'm going to introduce you to our new co-host for the show, and we'll discuss the kind of work she does and how she plans to serve you as the new co-host of the Structural Engineering Channel. Before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to share some breaking news. EMI is excited to announce the launch of the two newest podcasts on the Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network. The AEC Engineering and Technology podcast that provides information about technology in the AEC industry and the Engineering Project Management podcast that focuses on career advice and success stories for project managers in the engineering industry. You can check them out at the EMI website at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org forward slash content. Now let's jump into our conversation of the week. Before we dive in, we'd like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, PPI, a leader in engineering exam prep for the PE structural exam. PPI provides expert prep courses and study resources designed to help you pass the PE structural exam the first time. PPI's PE structural course is fully updated and taught with October 2021 code references and includes new editions of their PE structural books. PPI's live online courses include hours of lectures, problem-solving demonstrations, exam strategy sessions, office hours, and a passing guarantee. Check out PPI today at ppi2pass.com to see all the resources available for PE structural exam prep. Now let's dive into today's episode. Rachel, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here today, and I'm looking forward to sharing the mic with you on the Structural Engineering Channel podcast. Uh, to start off, Rick, can you tell our listeners more about yourself and what you do on a daily basis at Simpson Strong Tie? Uh, yeah, I can tell you about that. And thank you for having me, Matt. I'm excited about this too. So what do I do at uh, Simpson on a daily basis? I am an engineering supervisor down in our Riverside manufacturing facility, and I would say first and foremost, uh, the biggest thing that we focus on is customer service. So we're always looking to help customers provide solutions. You know, we have an 800 number we printed on all of our catalogs and everything like that. And I think people sometimes think that when they call, they, they're not going to like, who are they going to talk to? And I always kind of like joke that there's a handful of us in the office that are answering those questions and uh, we all know each other. So it's like very much a team effort. We provide technical support for engineers, uh, anybody that calls in, engineers, builders, DIYers, um, contractors, it could be anybody. And then I focus on a couple of other things as well besides that. Uh, we obviously 
do um, like lunch and learns. We do educational workshops, presentations, things like that. And then I also focus quite a bit on deck education. So I'm considered, uh, we have a, we have a word at Simpson, we call them a Dexpert. So I'm, I'm considered one of the company Dexperts. And I have the opportunity to basically teach people how to build code compliant decks. So I have a very, a very wide array of things that I do. I also do a lot of outreach. I work with students and um, universities and things like that, which I really enjoy. I know for most of us in the structural engineering industry, we're familiar with Simpson's strong tie. What attracted you to go work there? And how did you move from you know, design to more of the, I guess, research and development manufacturing side? Yeah, you know, I was first introduced to Simpson um, when I was in college, right? So Simpson used to have like an engineer or a sales rep, they would come down and they represented the company to teach students about uh, their products and, you know, just what they can offer and how they're sort of like a partner in what we all do. And with that, like they participated in Structural Forum, which is something big that Cal Poly does. So on an annual sort of level, and they would they would do these workshops where we could install products and they would teach us all these things. And I was always really interested in it. And, um, you know, I always am like telling people like network and we were just talking about that before this started. You know, it's it's really important, right? It's a such a small industry and really like a lot of people know each other. So as I worked my way through Cal Poly, I was networking with those Simpson reps and I really enjoyed them. And and then later on, you know, moving into the design world, which is what I did straight out of college, I really enjoyed having the reps come in and do the lunch and learns. And I just sort of maintained those relationships. I remember attending a workshop out in our Stockton facility at one point and being just sort of blown away by the machinery and the punches and like all this stuff. I was just very, very much so impressed. And in my experience, like every time I interacted with somebody that was representing Simpson, I always just thought like, oh, that's, I like that person, you know? And so it ended up like years later, it was one of the reps that used to call on Cal Poly was one of the people that called me up and said, hey, there's this opening, I think you should apply for it. And so I was like, okay, I'll give it a go, you know? And that was uh, almost 12 years ago now, and I've never looked back. So it's just, it's a cool company. I like the culture. I like the people. It's been a really fun career here. I wanted to ask you about, uh, I think it was some of the more unique things occurring today, you know, with the great resignation and all that stuff, because you've been with Simpson for a long time. What were some of the qualities of the company that allowed you to want to stay for that long? This is actually something that attracted me to the company from the get-go. So it's not just an engineering firm, right? Because it's a manufacturing company, it's got a sales team, a marketing team. It's a big company. We always kind of pretend we're still like this little mom-pa uh, company, but we're not. We're like a huge international company. And for me, I always thought like, that's so awesome to have all these opportunities. You know, like I, for me personally, design wasn't something that I saw myself in for 25 years for my whole career. And so with a manufacturing, I saw you know, Karen Colonius at the time when I started, um, she wasn't CEO at that time, but she had started as an R&D engineer. And I think when I started, she was, um, I want to say CFO. And so just seeing her career path and how she jumped from be being like R&D engineer to like 
branch manager to all these different things where she got experience and like was able to really broaden her experience at the company. That was really appealing to me because I was like, well, maybe I'll go into marketing one day or maybe I'll go into, you know, I haven't done that. But like just knowing that it was sort of there, that was really appealing. And so being that I've been here now 12 years, I'm on my third role. So it has changed. Um, And they haven't just been like growth roles. They've been a little bit like different. Like I was at a manufacturing facility in Stockton for nearly five years doing branch engineering things, which are um, more like customer facing. And then I went into R&D for about five years and I got to really like switch gears and focus more on like the innovative, you know, really use the creative side of my brain and develop parts and get really a lot more into like the code stuff and deeper technical And then um, now I've transitioned to this new engineering supervisor role down at another manufacturing facility in Riverside. So I've really like gotten to see um, different construction methodologies throughout the whole U.S. Like I'm not stuck in one little area and, you know, things are regional and it's just it's allowed me to sort of just stay motivated and inspired. Like it's not the same thing forever. Yeah, it's an interesting work dynamic, and it seems that there's multiple growth paths. You're not stuck in one direction because if it's a bigger company, there's there's all these directions that you can go if you're interested in company supports that. I did want to ask about research and development. I know I didn't go down that route. I definitely went to school with a lot of researchers, and I always found their research uh, interesting, especially when they're when they're testing stuff. Could you tell? Uh, me a little more about the research and development side and probably the testing that you do. That's I always found that really cool on how you guys break stuff. That's it usually uh, catches people's interest. Um, well, I mean, we're really fortunate. We have just like the most amazing testing facilities, right? So being on the R and D side of things, it's basically like uh, Simpson wants to provide solutions, right? So there's gaps, there's gaps out there where people don't have solutions, but there's certain things being built. And like, if there's a way that we can make it easier and safer, we want to provide that, right? So fortunately for us, we have this amazing sales team that has all these really strong relationships with people out in the field, and we're able to gather that information. And we take that information and then in the R and D department, again, just like a bunch of just really great, smart people. And we can collaborate and brainstorm and, and come up with these new ideas. And I'm always like shocked at how, you know, people in our tooling department can visualize things in a 3D sense and be like, well, our punches could do this, they couldn't do that, you know, and there's a lot of people involved. And as the engineer, you're looking at like, you know, calculations, you're looking at test responses, results, you have to follow certain um, acceptance criteria, you have to do all these different things to make sure the final allowable loads are are what they're supposed to be. I really liked that role that I played, um, getting to be at the front end of like these new products that were getting developed or these new, you know, features that we were able to put on some of our parts that would make installation easier or get higher loads or different things like that, you know? So it was really like, it definitely um, tested my my creative sort of innovative side of my brain. And it was very fun. And lots of breaking things, lots of breaking things in the lab. <laughs> yeah, because it's kind of just, uh, I imagine there'd be a group of engineers and they would basically ask those questions that you're asking, how can we make this more effective? And yeah, it's an open-ended creative uh, problem solving 
And not only that, it's once you come up with something, okay, let's test it. Let's see if it really works. And I know there's a lot of stuff that goes into it, especially with all the codes. So I'm sure it takes a, a big team. That's something that always seemed pretty cool. That's I think underappreciated at times because, you know, everything's in the catalog. I think most engineers don't appreciate all the, the things that go into it just to get that product, that single product out there for, to be able to use. Yeah. And even, you know, once it's already in the catalog and, and there, I mean, we always kind of like joke, we're always trying to make the next best mousetrap or whatever. It's like, even though it's already there, like we take feedback from the field. So like, if there's something that somebody feels like could be better, like we want to look at that. So we'll have like the next version, the next version, the next version, you know? So it never really stops. You know, you're constantly trying to develop the next best thing. And you also mentioned that you were the the deck expert, <laughs> the the deck expert. Could you share with us how you even got into that role and and how you became the the deck expert and and some of the things that you deal with uh, in order to build that expertise? Yeah, so it kind of just um, fell into place when I had gone into the R and D department. Uh, a lot of the products that I was working on were sort of related to decks. So even before my involvement, Simpson has always been heavily involved in deck building, deck education, different things like that. And so when I got into that role in R&D, it just sort of made sense for me to follow along in that. And one of the products that I worked on when I was in R&D was the brick veneer ledger connector. So it's a way to attach a ledger for a deck uh, to a home with a brick veneer that you can't put any um, load on. So you actually have to like bypass the brick. So anyways, I was working on that part and there's a lot of like different opportunities for when we can kind of help to safer decks, right? So there's trade shows. Um, There's usually two or three of them every year that we always have a booth at where we teach classes and people can come in and listen to us talk about, you know, proper ledger attachments and the different requirements for railing and all of those kinds of things. So that's something I, I travel with a couple of other people at the company and we travel around to those trade shows and teach those. We also do workshops for inspectors, you know, cause it wasn't really until 2009 that Dex even got into the code. So prior to that, it was very like, very loose, right? So 2009, they finally got in the code. DIY. Yeah. And you know, it's so funny you say DIY because decks are often overlooked as being a structural element of a home, right? It's kind of like, oh, just slap that thing on the back of the house, which, you know, I can understand how people have that kind of thought process behind it. But if you look at, you know, failures and injuries due to building failures and stuff, decks tend to be one of those things that they can cause injury when they when they fail, because you're usually elevated, there's usually it, it usually occurs when there's like a party or something happening where there's a lot of people on the deck. And it's just one of those things that like, we take a lot of pride in trying to teach people how to build them properly. So we work with inspectors, builders, engineers, all the different parties that come into play with that. And the other thing that we've done to try to make it easier, you know, it's in the IRC and the IBC and, you know, there's the DCA six, which is that design for code acceptance um, that deals specifically with deck building. And one of the pieces of literature that we developed at Simpson is that like a little companion piece that goes with that. And so it really makes it easy for somebody that's building a deck. Maybe they're not even like a professional builder, you know, maybe it is more of a DIY, but they can look at each little piece and see like, how could I do this properly? And what could I buy off the shelf to achieve that connection, you know? So yeah, we do a lot of that. We do a lot of stuff with um, 
inspectors to try to teach them what they're inspecting for. And um, that's become kind of more of a hot topic lately with the, the state bills that have gone into play. So we touch on those to try to teach inspectors what they're looking for and how that's going to affect like the, the engineering community and all of that. Yeah, I did not know that much went into the decks because it seems like it's not just you're designing the connections, but we're also teaching people how to properly design them for the layman that just wants to do their own deck. But here's how you do it. Not only that, you have to communicate it to a layman, which with graphics and making it clear. But I didn't know about the inspection stuff too and all the, the building code compliances. So I can definitely see why there's an expert that's required for that. That's that's really interesting. And yeah, that makes sense about the decks because people can just have parties and they don't get the load paths. Uh, typically, I've seen some anchors used on decks that you're supposed to use in the Simpson catalog to for any out-of-plane forces. People won't know about that if they're just building it. So they need to be educated. So that's that's pretty cool. I wanted to talk about the opportunity or, or how you wanted to become a, a co-host. I'm, I'm really excited uh, that you're going to be on here and we're going to be sharing the mic. At, I guess, what are your goals? How did you get to that opportunity? And what are your goals of being the co-host on the podcast? I'm excited. I mean, I think that for one, I'm just excited to like talk to some different people, hear about like their stories, what they're working on, like new and upcoming sort of projects, methodologies, different things like that. So that's exciting to me. And then the other thing is like, I really am like excited to help motivate sort of like that next generation of engineers and bring to light some topics that can be really interesting so that people see why it's such a fun profession and want to stick with it and grow as a structural engineer. For the episodes, I've been so surprised on the variety of uh, structural engineering. I think most students, when they get into structural engineering, they think they're going to get into design work, which, yeah, that makes sense. But you see all of these different career paths talking to different structural engineering professionals. It's not just one path. There's dozens upon dozens of career paths in, in structural engineering. You're living proof of that too. You went to design and I don't know how many roles you went into with different skills. And it's not all technical. It's, it gives you an opportunity to use your technical skills, but also develop you know, more of the soft communication skills. I think that's needed for all of these different positions. What I really appreciate uh, for you coming on is you know, a different perspective in terms on where you are professionally. I know for me, I'm a design engineer, project manager, and the consulting side, basically from the other side and research and development, and you have so much more expertise on, I guess, more of the bigger picture items uh, with the engineering leads and research and development. So I think that's, that's really cool and, and exciting because my perspective is something, but I know there's a lot of other perspectives out there, which I appreciate. So looking forward to that. As I've like gone, as I've moved forward in my career, coming out of school, like you just said, it's like you think you're just going to be a design engineer and that's sort of like the path, you know? And I think that as I've worked and as I've networked and as you get involved in different SEOC and different professional associations and things, you you meet more people and you think like, oh, well, that person's like working in forensics. I didn't even know that like existed. And this person's working in software. Oh, I didn't even know that I could take that and go that way, you know? So I think as you gain experience, you start to really see like, there's so many opportunities in which you can take, you know, your educational background in engineering and, and what work experience you do have. And it's it's a good foundation for going in so many different directions. With the structural engineering, it's if you want to do it, do it. If it doesn't work out for your career, then 
I think engineering in general just teaches you so many skills that, I mean, you're good. You can pivot whatever way you want because the skills that you learn, you take with you. Did you have any final career advice for structural engineers that maybe that are going through a similar journey such as yours? There's lots of opportunities and don't ever feel like you're stuck doing something. I think there's a lot of opportunities out there and everything that you're learning along the way uh, can play an important part in determining where you go next, you know? So just be open-minded and make it what you want. Thanks so much, Rachel, for introducing uh, yourself. And I'm really looking forward to, to working with you on this one. Thanks, Matt. I totally appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. We'd love to hear your feedback, comments, and or questions. To leave them, please visit structuralengineeringchannel.com. There you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, which is episode number 90, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Until next time, we wish you the best in all of your structural engineering endeavors. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to download the latest version of our AE Industry Trends Report to get answers to the questions that you want to ask your staff, but you may be afraid to do so. How long will the great resignation last? How long should you allow employees to work remotely? And how are successful firms using data to grow sustainably for the long term? You can learn the answers to these questions and more by downloading the report at Engineering Management Institute dot org.